You're listening to Infinite TBR, the podcast where we try not to buy more books. I'm Smack. And I'm Gabby. Spoiler alert, we're going to avoid major spoilers, and when we can, warn when we're going to discuss the particular book in detail so you can avoid that part of the episode. You can also check the show notes for timestamped flags identifying potential spoilers. You can visit our website at infinitetbr.com to see each episode's show notes, and you can also find us on Twitter at InfiniteTBR, where we live tweet our reading experiences sometimes. Last time, as we mentioned, we went on off on a kind of Six of Crows tangent without... A significant... A significant... A substantial... A significant and substantial tangent... (laughs) about uh, Crooked Kingdom, actually, and then realized we didn't, like, explain explain anything about Six of Crows, (laughs) including who any of the names we dropped. Or even who it's by? We didn't didn't do anything, anything, basically. (laughs) So um, we're going to, but we saved that content. Um, both for that, because we talked a lot about that one, and then we also talked a lot about uh, your favorite, well, one of your favorite reads from that month, which was A Dowry of Blood by S.T. Gibson, and um, we're going to insert that content here in addition to, a, like, a few little supplemental tidbits, and then we're going to go into um, some follow-up information about uh, the books we were reading at the time, and it just started. A checking in, a check- if you will. <laughs> So, Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo uh, is about, basically about a found family. It's about It's six... a heist with a, or a found family with a heist. Yes, found family with a heist or a heist with by a found family. <laughs> it's And it's very much like a bunch of underdogs, mm-hmm. nobody likes each other. In fantasy Netherland, we should say this is a fantasy yeah. duology. Fantasy version place in, of yeah, the Netherlands. Yes. Yeah. And then they go off to the fantasy version of, like, Norway or mm-hmm. Iceland or something yeah. really cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do their heist. They heist! They heist so hard. <laughs> All day. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, you know, everybody comes together and it's all really wonderful. And then it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger mm-hmm. um, just to keep you ready primed to for the yeet the, the rich. <laughs> <laughs> you really come off of Six of Crow just ready to just eat the rich. Yup. The sequel is called Crooked Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's more a series of heists because the found family... Yes has has already come together they are like supporting each other um but they have to deal with everything mm-hmm. that they put off dealing with in six of crows yes plus all the new stuff right, right cropped up at the end of six there's just a lot to deal with it is kind of a long book but it doesn't feel like no that. it does not it's, it's really exciting it's really just incredible yeah. um and our our cast our lovely cast includes kaz who is the ringleader? Right, um, and his the, specialty is thievery, like prodigy criminal mastermind. Mm-hmm. He is baby. He's mur. Well, they're all murder babies because they're because, all like sixteen. Yeah, they're all like 16, <laughs> 17, 18. I think Matthias might be eighteen. Um, but yeah, it's YA. It's YA. So everybody's a teenager, and somehow, which makes them all prodigies. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Who 
we all find each other. Right. Um, um, so he's a he's OG traumatized murder baby. Yeah. Has a lot of uh, ridiculous backstory. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then there's Inej, who mm-hmm. they call the Wraith. She started and Spider. Yes. A spider is like her job title. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but she's she she was trained as an acrobat and has turned that into being a thief. Um, specifically of secrets. Mm-hmm. She goes in and like breaks into secure houses of rich people and then like collects blackmail. Yes. For um, Kaz. And yes. the criminal gang there Kaz works for. Yeah. They're part of yeah, they're part of like a street gang. Mm-hmm. Um who else? There's Nina, who is yeah. from the fantasy version of Russia. Uh-huh. Raka. That just finished a civil war. And so she um, Which you can read about in the Shadow of Bone trilogy. Also. Or you could skip that. Or you could that. skip that. <laughs> Just read Six of Crows. Um, and so she is what they call a heart render, which means she has magic that relates to bodies, mm-hmm. but not in a healing kind of way. I mean, it could be. It can be in a healing kind there of way. There are healers and heart renders. I mean, same powers, different utility. Yeah, in the the Six of Crows, it becomes a little more clear that there is, like, more overlap Mm -hmm. than you learn in the original trilogy. Yes. But she's a badass. She's She's also, like, canonically um, fat. She's a a big girl. And it's never, like, it's good fat rep, basically. Yes. Um, And then there's Matthias, who is complicated. (laughs) He is... Our favorite ex-Nazi, yes. Matthias, is from, uh, yeah, from Fierdo, which is the, the, the place they go to place. steal yeah. stuff. Uh, which is one of the reasons they bring him into the gang, because he has, right. supposedly has all this inside knowledge. Um, and he's a big old grumpy bigot. Um, yeah, but... Who gets over himself. Yes, once uh, he and Nina kind of have it out, because Nina uh, landed him in Prison? Kirch prison, sort of, sort not, of, not on act, not by accident, but like, but, yeah, there, there are reasons, yeah. and they have to deal with that. Capital. But also, they're in love, and they're dealing with that, right? You know, and they're enemies. teenagers, yeah, <laughs> and they're teenagers, so they're dealing with that. Um, who else? There's Jesper. Oh, Jesper, who's also in the street gang with Kaz mm-hmm. and Inej. And he's a he's, sharpshooter. He's a sharpshooter gambler addict. Mm-hmm. And Wylan. And Wylan. Wylan is interesting because he, in the first book, in Six of Crows, um, you get very, like, tiny snippets. He's not, an, he doesn't have his own narrating chapters mm-hmm. in Six of Crows, but he does in Crooked Kingdom. Yeah. And so you don't get a complete picture of him, really, until the end of Six of right. Crows, and not because you get anything from his point of view. Right. But he's sort of... The baby! He is a baby. He's not a, he's not a very... <laughs> hardened criminal, especially compared to the rest of them. He's the son of the uh, merchant who hired them to pull off this heist in Six of Crows. He's supposedly their leverage. Yeah, he's supposed to be like their ransom if the guy who hired them tries not to pay up Mm -hmm. at the end of it. But of course that goes horribly wrong. Sure it does. Everything in Everything (laughs) goes wrong. Horribly wrong. In the best ways. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so that's our... And in Crooked Kingdom, we also have a... Um, how do we describe him without being spoiler? 
there's a there's a there's a seventh semi-important character in Crooked Kingdom who we meet toward the end of Six of Crows. Yes. That's good neutral. That's good. Yeah. It's <laughs> really all you really need to know yeah, about him anyway. Yeah, that is really all you need to know about Six of Crows. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Enjoy. so here is where we're going to insert. Um, oh, but actually, before I do that, I am going to say uh, my favorite passage, I think, from either book. I don't remember which one it was. From Crooked Kingdom. <laughs> my favorite passage is when Inej is going face to face with uh, Danyasha, who's this, like, basically Inej's evil foil, who's kind of sent to as to deal with Inej specifically. Um, so she's kind of like a badass assassin. And I really liked her. I didn't, I mean, she was an awful, horrible person, and I hated her because she put darling Inej in danger. Mm-hmm. But, like, I really liked that she was positioned as if, like, sort of as a chosen one. Yes. So I thought that Danyasha was going to, uh, I might have, I don't remember if I, if we talked about this, but I thought Danyasha was going to be far more significant, especially, like, I thought they were setting her up to be a huge player Cause she, cause in later. Everybody thought she was a but, chosen one. Yeah. And she, at first she seems like someone who you might be able to turn to the good side, because she just seems like a bored assassin. Like, give her a reason to get more interested in your side. Like, yeah. But then she really turns out to be kind of like a, like a, not a cultist, but someone who's just, like, has her... An extremist. Yes, an extremist, thank you. Yeah. Um, so she has a very extreme points of view on her and path. And she's, she's incredibly set in her ways, mm-hmm. and there is, there's nothing that shakes her from that. Yes. And to be, like, the first person narr- narrator of a Chosen One story, like, there has to be something that shakes the main character from their static lives. Right. And that, I think, is why, is what makes her such a small ca- character mm. compared to how the rest of the entire genre would set her right. up. Right. Which I, I thought that was really interesting. Yes. So, your I favorite so. passage. So my favorite passage is they're facing off, and, and Danyasha is saying, like, you know, you're, you're worthless, you, you don't have the same principles, so we're just, like, not even on the same level. And Inej almost felt sorry for her. Danyasha really believed she was the Lantsov heir, and maybe she was, but wasn't that what every girl dreamed? That she'd wake and find herself a princess, or blessed with magical powers and a grand destiny? Maybe there were people who lived those lives. Maybe this girl was one of them. But what about the rest of us? What about the nobodies and the nothings, the invisible girls? We learn to hold our heads as if we wear crowns. We learn to wring magic from the ordinary. That was how you survived when you weren't chosen, when there was no royal blood in your veins. When the world owed you nothing, you demanded something of it anyway. And I thought that was probably one of the best passages in the whole book. The whole 650 page book. (laughs) It was just, it resonated a lot with me. I remember tearing up. And it, it really encapsulated the entire, like, Six of Crows gang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it that's it their put, whole vibe. It put the whole duology in such a stark contrast to Bardugo's first trilogy, which is very much like chosen one, almost a Mary Sue, um, goes on an adventure, saves the kingdom, saves the world. Spoil? I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, come on, how else? Is I thought that you were gonna call her spoiled, and I was like, yeah. nope, nope, spoilers. Yeah. She saves okay. the world, guys. <laughs> Do you know what my like? 
offhand, mm-hmm. the one passage I do really remember mm-hmm. is on like page 30 of Six of Crows. It's the very beginning. Offhand, let me just whip out a page number. Ish, page 30 ish. 30 ish. Um, because it was so striking. And so, like, you get the, the prologue. Mm-hmm. Like, something fishy's going on in a rich guy's house. Yeah. And um, it's a point of view that we don't, we never hear from again. No. Just as, like, random guardsman. <laughs> Immediately. And, yeah, like, shit's going down, and it's it's interesting, it's new, and then we meet the crows, and they go off on an evening peace talk, I guess, with another gang. Oh, right, right, right. Um, and... It's from Inezha's point of view, and she's hanging around in the buildings around this square on the rooftop, trying to keep an eye on her people and keep any, like, last-minute assassins from showing up. And the dialogue is fun. It's, like, snappy and witty. And then the mood changes, where Kaz, like, whips out this, like, blackmail he's got that nobody really expected. And suddenly the guys on the other street gang who had been like joking around with him like fall silent and there's this line that's like the kid was gone and dirty hands had come to play and i was like oh well this is why people like these books okay (laughs) (laughs) but like that was the moment i got caught in the book and i was like nope not not stopping (laughs) that is yeah that's that's that was a great moment where you get like this is what these books are gonna be like yep the whole time. And I, I don't get that crystal clear moment with very many other mm. books. Like, you enjoy them or you don't, and they're good or they're not, but, like, that one, it, like, the first 30 pages are fine. It's mediocre. Yeah. And then you get that moment and buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is the point, for real, where we'll put in the whatever we rattled out about last time. We have a lot of thoughts. Yes. Yeah, because I recently finished reading Crooked Kingdom. Like, two I, days ago, right? Yep. Very, very... What did you think? Very, very fresh. <laughs> they were so good. So good. Um, I... I'm like, how much do I want to talk about? Because the main thing I wanted to talk about is a major spoiler. But I can always flag it if we want to talk about it. Um, but general general notes um i mean i love me a heist a well done heist and this is well done so well done and like it it was she did a really good job making like having the kind of multiple nested heists yeah and then like letting so many of them go wrong like eventually figured out like if it was a heist early on in the book something was gonna go wrong and they'd have to like fight back yeah and um and then uh, Crooked Kingdom. So I've kind of like Six of Crows. Like you kind of get that pattern overall. And then in Crooked Kingdom, I was like, okay, that's the pattern. Like whatever they plan here at the very beginning, like something's gonna go wrong. They're gonna have to like retcon it. It'll be fine. So I was like, I fully expected the first plan to go wrong. And then they started setting up the second plan, and it was like only what two hundred pages in. Like there was still well over half the book. This is left. like a five hundred and I was like page book. There's not time for this one to go well. <laughs> I was like, this, and I knew. Okay, so this is where this is where I may want to insert a spoiler warning. Hey, everybody! 
This is Gabby coming at you from the future to let you know that the uh, spoilery in-depth discussion of Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom starts about here and lasts until about mm, the 30 minute and 40 second mark. So if you want to skip ahead, now's the time to do that. Future Gabby out. I knew going into Crooked Kingdom, I was... 90% convinced someone was gonna die. One of these six characters was full, and I was like, mm, there's only, I think I, I honestly landed, there's only one person it could be and I could walk away from the duology like, okay. <laughs> like not, like not happy. Our or, ex or, but like, Nazi. Yes, our ex, our, our favorite ex Nazi. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, Do you know how I figured out somebody was gonna die? Because when, when things started to go really well for Nina, and they were like, yes, come back to Ravka, we'll reinstate you, you can you can do whatever, and then Matthias and her are like, well, maybe we could go back to the, the Nordic Kingdom and, like, save people from their bigotry. And then I was like, there's no way that's going to happen. That She's was... going back to Ravka because they're going to need Aww. cool heart renders for the next duology. Oh, so you kind of knew that Nina was going to be involved in the next. I mean, like, how could she not? She's the coolest Ravkin there, I mean, yeah, there is. I guess. Aside from... So I didn't realize... I didn't, A, did not realize that I was I anyone was from at. Six of Crows was going to end up in King of Scars, etc. I don't know for sure, but I am pretty dang sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then... Uh, that was actually the opposite of a red flag for me. Because at, at one point I was, I was trying to figure out, I was trying to brace myself. I was like, okay, who could it be? And I thought the most likely culprit was Kaz. Because I was like, he's, because I was like, I, I was trying to parse out, like, who had a goal after the heist? And everyone, who had a purpose once everything was done? And I was like, they can't kill off Jesper because he's got his dad and he has to live happily ever after with Rylan. Right. Like, you can't, you can't kill either one of those two boys. Because <laughs> they're safe. They're, they're safe. They're too, they're too cute to be dead. Cute. <laughs> You can't kill either one of them without starting a fan riot. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then I was like, well, e and Inej has two, like, like, Inej was a possibility. Cause, right. But then I was like, mm, you can't kill Inej because that would wreck Kaz. And then, like, yeah. and he, he would never recover. Right. Fully would never ever, recover from ever. That, ever. So there's no way to give Kaz closure if Inej dies. So I ruled out Inej. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, and then when Nina and Matthias were like, we have a plan. And I was like, well, now you can't kill either of them because what are either of them going to do without the other? Like, Matthias, and I was like, Matthias has to go back to Fierda and find his wolf and they're going to like figure out their nonsense and then oh. they're going to like do their, and they, and they had to go rescue or they have to like go wreck on a bunch of other Nazis. De-brainwash. Yeah, de-brainwash. De <laughs> and I was like, they have a purpose, and if they get rid of either one of them, it kind of ruins this whole arc that Matthias The second had. they had a dual purpose, I was like, it's not good. Nope. So I was like, it's gonna be Kaz. <laughs> and then, because I was like, everyone else... But then, and then I was like, but it would be weird to see how everyone else... I don't know. I could, I could see everyone being like, oh, more in Kaz, and then move on with their happy yeah, lives. Yeah, like, eventually. But then it would also, it would also there be, would be, like, a big. fan riot if Kaz died, Yeah, that's though. true. <laughs> Actually. But he also, like, he had no purpose beyond right. his revenge. So it was like, what... And they sort of, like, slid in a purpose, sort of, yes, like... Yes. Very the last, last minute. Like, 20 pages So I was like, how, like, once this is over, what, what are you gonna do? Like, there's nothing for him to do. And they kept... 
preventing him from having a purpose and preventing him from purpose. So I was I was very convinced Kaz was the one who was gonna eat it. And then um and then the whole Matthias And honestly, even after Matthias died, I kept waiting for someone else to die. Oh like, my god. <laughs> and like literally like literally up to the very end, I was like, who's gonna suddenly shoot him out of nowhere? I was like very stressed out <laughs> by that point. Could not come down from my I mean that was in the middle of my like marina post surgery stress too. So right. like I was so already operating from like <laughs> very high baseline level of stress. But um and then I was I was a little surprised with how they did his because like obviously emotional impact, like right. yes, okay. Um at that point you love the dude. And you want to see him, and he's really redeemed himself. Yes, by that point. and you want to see him flourish from this new point in his life, even though he's like clearly found a like a sense of like self, like not complete self acceptance, but he's clearly like I'm learning, like I'm growing, like I'm comfortable with who I am now. Yeah, I just have to keep catching these subconscious thoughts I have, but like I'm comfortable with who I am becoming. Right, and I'm excited about the idea of helping other people grow in that, grow same, into that same direction yeah. and then to have this the first opportunity he has to even like try that and it they kill him yeah it kind of i feel like i felt like in a way it almost like undercut that whole goal and i don't know it makes me wonder the how they're even gonna move forward I, and accomplish that the moment i knew that nina and matthias would be happy together and when I su- when I still suspected that Nina would show up in later books, right. like you can't like female characters don't get to be both happy and have like a purpose. <laughs> so like we had to break her heart to send her back to Ravka to like do whatever they're gonna do in the next two books. It so was that was really my, upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like the main thing. That's like the freshest that. The still open wound. Tell that me what you thought about. You, you said something about their like plague protocols. Oh so yeah, so like one of the ways they execute the final heist is to like set off plague protocols, mm-hmm. and then the there city's was plague yes, okay. and then there was a passage where they talk about how the city locks down as soon as that plague alarm goes off, and like everyone like goes to their homes. And, like, commerce shuts down, traders shut down, all, like, traffic going out of the city, like, like, everyone just, like, everyone's so scared. just locks down. And not only is the government effective at executing this lockdown, (laughs) everyone is very, very willing to go hide in their houses for the duration. Like, they're scared, they're scared to death of this thing. So this is, this is a commentary on our life. Yes, I was like, this is a very capitalistic... True. City slash like Keterdam is the city. True. There was the, no attempt at price gouging. And like, there's <laughs> no way that insane, immoralistic country that like throt like literally has a god devoted to pretty much commerce and capitalism. Yep. They have a god of capitalism and a church in the shape of a hand. And you're telling me that they don't have Facebook. <laughs> they don't. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have fake news. I guess. So, okay. and then there was, and there was, so there was like a paragraph about that, and I was like, mm, I believed this <laughs> right <laughs> up until, <laughs> but now I just, I just don't believe in All sense of realism is gone. <laughs> so the, yeah, those were my plague thoughts. <laughs> Cannot believe also that Kaz walked into a morgue. Yeah, that was. 
I was like pretty ballsy. My dude, you have so much trouble just like so existing next to Inej and then like willingly you didn't even have to be there. I don't yeah. think I think he picked the lock on the door and then was like, Yes, Nina, who can now raise dead bodies, I wanna be with you for this part. That's a good point. I don't think I thought of that. <laughs> I mean they don't really go into like he has his hesitation at the entrance. Right. And he's like, and he steals himself what they're about to do, and then they cut to black because they can't give away like right. what's gonna happen. Even though like Nina's here and she can raise dead bodies, like how many places could this possibly be going? <laughs> but so then I was like, so then you know like Nina's gonna be raising some dead bodies, and then I was like, mm, Kaz, my my beautiful boy Kaz, <laughs> why are you doing my this little to yourself? Murder child. <laughs> my little mur- they're all my precious murder children. <laughs> Um, and then the, I think the only major gripe I had, like, those are all, like, funny gripes I had. Yes. Like, they didn't really take me out of the story or anything. I was just, I felt for my, my murder babies and laughed at our own country. But, um, <laughs> but the only problem I had was how they treated Kaz's touch repulsion thing, especially in the first book. That was... The first book, I could almost excuse it because nobody really understood. So, yes... And part of that was that we, the reader, didn't understand. Like, we get his backstory really late in the book. Uh, so, not before the iffiness starts. We get right. the story, and then, like, Inej starts delivering her ultimatums about, like, we can't be together unless, like, you can handle touching me. And I was like, let's talk about asexuality and have an open and frank discussion about, like... Touch aversion. Touch aversion, and, um, and, like, and, like, if, like, I can see, like, having that discussion and being, like, okay, we're clearly looking for something different in a physical relationship. Right. but there was no discussion. There's no, no, discussion. <laughs> no, no, like, <laughs> no clear, healthy relationship communication about sexual boundaries or anything, and, like, what they expect to get from each other out of a more intimate relationship. It was just... Ultimatums. Can you touch me? Can you touch me? Oh no, then I guess we're not gonna do this. And then like, you know, and I guess like, it's not like Kaz ever explained, but he shouldn't have to, is kind of my thing. He should not have to explain a reason behind a touch aversion to like, be, have that boundary respected. But I could see like, I like, like I... From her point of view, this is not to play devil's advocate, but because he is so shit at communicating... Oh yeah. That like... Dude's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Like... I don't think it ever occurred to her that, like... So that almost made it worse for me, because there were, at least from the point of view of the author, because there's so many reasons to fall back on on why Inej can be like, "Mm, you're gonna have to, like... Work on this. Work on some (laughs) shit before (laughs) we can even think about having a proper relationship. No, you're right, because she she goes straight to an ultimatum. Yeah. Like, they don't don't even talk about... Whether they'd be interested. They don't talk about anything. But, like, (laughs) literally jump from we have a strictly professional relationship and you're just my worker to if you don't want to touch me, then we can never be together. And Kaz being like, (laughs) I just want you to be my spider anyway. (laughs) And she's like, wow. Um, but she didn't, like, so that, t- that point blank ultimatum didn't come up in the second book, so I was, it was a little bit easier to be yeah. like, okay. And I know that she was, that was clearly intended to be, like, a metaphor for how emotionally unavailable Kaz is. 
and that he does need to work on his shit before. The metaphor works better mm. than the non-communication. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, anyway, so that was my biggest gripe. I really loved, the, like, the beginning of the first, like, hundred pages <laughs> of, of Crooked Kingdom. Yeah. Where Inej like realizes where she where they're torturing her and she screams like if you Ooh. break my legs he'll never want yep he'll never what was it like he'll never want me back yeah like like he'll I have be, no I yeah, no yeah. Use to him. yeah that was that was, that was good yeah <laughs> that was really good oh that was that was excellent she was really good at like re- like the character characterizations were just they're, they're amazing. So great. I don't know of too many, I don't want to say any other, because I'm sure there mm-hmm. are, but of many other authors who can juggle such big casts. Mm-hmm. It's so much work. And easily tell, like, who you're reading from yeah. from any, at yeah, any given like time. Yeah, like it says at the beginning of every chapter, but, like, a lot of them you don't have Mm-mm. to look. You just know who they are. Yep. It's, and, like, I really liked, like, you could see it, her Bardugo starting to develop that skill in the Shadow and Bone trilogy, where in the third one, um, the whole like gang escapes from the underground caverns and they go on this sort of quest for the Firebird together, and there are like nine people there. Yes, once she started getting more people involved in the gang, that's when you started being like, oh, maybe she yeah. can be a good writer. Yeah, and and like she went for like she scaled it down for Six of Crows. And like she really from nine to yeah like, yeah, yeah yeah yeah, and and she just does casts just mm-hmm. so well. I'm just in awe. So much better when you're just out of the main character's head. Like, yeah, but like, there's, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a reason there's so many books though with like first person point of view because right. like it's really it's so much easier to like one of one of my writing teachers once said that like in first person you can sort of put your arm around the reader and like whisper all the important stuff. Because, like, you don't have to say it out loud. Like, this is what they're thinking. This is what they're familiar with. So I think of that a lot. But, like, you can't do that with six characters. With six main characters. It's very funny that she did that so much better than from first person. I think that was just the, the, like, the most common way to to write a YA book back then. The early, well... 2012? Yeah, I can cut her some slack. It was her first. It was her first book. First trilogy. (laughs) Yes, all of the above. (laughs) So that was what we thought about from last time. (laughs) Uh, So now we're going to go into um, one of your top reads at the time, which was, I think like I already said, is Dowry of Blood by S.T. Gibson. Most of what I had to say involved a lot of spoilers, so we will mark that in the show notes, mm-hmm. as well as, like, a, hey, we're going to start our spoilers now. Right. <laughs> Ditch us if you need to. I was absolutely surprised by how much I liked A Dowry of Blood, and it's by S.T. Gibson, and it is it was, it was billed to me as um, Dracula's wives band together to kill him. Good. Get him. Get him. And that's what it is. One of his wives is actually a guy. Delivered. But it's this really interesting, like, what's it called? Polycule? Mm Mm-hmm. And the three spouses, shall we call them, it's uh, the the dynamic between them and Dracula, who is never once named. The whole thing is constructed as a sort of a 
purging journal entry by the oldest of his wives. Interesting. And she says at the beginning, I will never say your name again. You are going to die forgotten. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> and stuff like, I didn't start out. I didn't start out on this road intending for your blood to just drench my nightgown. But that's where we ended up. Oh, well. Yeah. It's, it's a book about domestic abuse basically and so like it starts where she is like a romanian peasant whose village has been raided she's lying in the ground dying um she watched her father be burned alive they beat her brother and mother till they died type thing and then this like dark prince comes along and saves her and takes her to a castle and everything's really fancy even though there are no other servants um, and then he becomes her whole life for at least a century, and they're just there together. And her entire life is about being in love with him and serving him. Um, and gross. I, I mean, like, yes, but also, like, her naivety Aww. is just. Like, they're clearly monsters, and they kill people very quite often, sure. and it's. And it's terrible and bloody and whatever, and she's still really religious, <laughs> which is an interesting dynamic. Um, but like, <sighs> then the plague comes. Ah, another plague. I book. know there's another plague, and then this one, you can tell that like the author went back and wrote this like section of like what it's like to be in a plague, like <laughs> plagues. Yeah, plagues eat time. You're trapped in your house, and time passes, and you don't really feel it pass until you leave your house again, type thing. Sounds familiar. <laughs> it's really, really beautiful writing. But, like, I read that, and I... <sighs> Ooh. There, <laughs> there. It just... It felt so familiar that, like, I could just tell she went back and wrote it then. Or they. I don't know what the pronouns yeah, are. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Um... But um, the whole book is really beautifully written, and it's it's basically the story of this this woman who, as well, yeah, it's a domestic abuse story, and it's it, as she goes through life with her. I'm just gonna call him Dracula. <laughs> she goes. Don't speak his name. I know. I feel kind of bad. <laughs> but like she worked so hard to excise I his name from know. history, and you done messed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so like, hey, this is future Gabby again. Uh, we do go into some in-depth plot points from A Dowry of Blood from about here to the 43-minute, 45-second uh, mark. So if you don't want that experience ruined for you, now is the time to fast forward. They they leave the, the abandoned castle in Romania. They go to Vienna, and she talks about how much she loves the city, and she loves to just be out there at night and go to plays and theater, and she has this friend who comes over and does embroidery with her, and then he finds out she has a friend who comes over and does embroidery, embroidery with her, and they have a very uncomfortable conversation about it, and basically she sends her friend away and never talks to her again Ooh. for her own safety. 
both of their safeties. But like, it it takes hundred. It's hard to tell like how much time is passing because she's not really paying a ton of attention to it. And like, she says at the beginning, like, I wish I'd known what year it was when we started all this. But like, she just doesn't. <laughs> um, sometime, it it feels like it's. About a hundred, maybe two hundred years before the bubonic plague hits Eastern Europe, whenever that might be. But like, she loves cities. She just, and then, I don't know. I mean, if I were trapped in a castle for a hundred years, I too would like cities. Yeah, right. And she, she only feeds on wrongdoers. Mm, So she like goodbye tracks down like corrupt politicians or wife beaters or gangsters or like just bad guys and those are the ones she terrorizes and eats and Dracula makes so much fun of her for it he's like you're still a monster too I'm a monster you're a monster just because you're getting rid of all these human monsters doesn't mean you're a good person Hmm. and like there's some the first time or two he says it there's some echo of like him wanting to actually warn her but it's hard to tell like how much it of it feels is very emotionally manipulative everything he does down, so slash. so manipulative she ends up such a red flag vienna ends up being like under siege or like attacked or something and so they flee the city and they go to spain where they are taken in by this Contessa, I guess, um, minor noblewoman, and it turns out that Dracula has been having a like letter exchange. I can't even remember what it's called. It's so late. I'm tired. <laughs> They've been exchanging letters for at least five years. Okay. Very intimate letters where he told this Spanish noblewoman who he is, how old he is, oh, all about. The, the protagonist interesting like, their lives like trying to like bring her into the fold basically so they get to they get to this woman's palace and the narrator is like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> and and but like and he he absolutely coerces her and he says at one point do i have your permission to turn her but it's not like she can say no. Right. Like he has set it up so she cannot yeah. say no. And and so like that feeling like he did technically ask for permission and how absolutely turned on she is by this woman. <laughs> this, this whole book is just Incredible. sex and blood and manipulation. It is wild. And so like another couple hundred years go by, she and this woman are like they call each other sisters. They, you know, like shield each other from him, and they develop their own like ways of placating him. Signs of a healthy relationship. Absolutely. And one of the the scenes in their life that the narrator picks out is when one night he's too busy with his like his own thing going on. He does research into the differences between vampires and humans, and that's how he passes the years. But he's so into his research one night in Venice that he lets them go out on their own. Like, like that's, that's not allowed <laughs> otherwise. 
And so they go to the opera, and it's um, Judith and, um, I don't know, it's it's a Bible story. She Ugh. cuts off his head. She marries... I was raised Catholic, and I have no idea what yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> Judith of Holofernes. There's a really fantastic um, painting by Artemisia Bernaleski. No, not Bernaleski. There's a really famous... <laughs> woman painter from the Italian Renaissance who does these really Gentileschi? Gentileschi! Artemisia Gentileschi. And she does these really like contrasting shadows and light and one of her most famous paintings is Judith of Holofernes where Judith marries some guy who's out to destroy the Israel the Israelites and then he puts his head in her lap and she cuts it off solid so like there was there was an solid reaction yeah. to that <laughs> <laughs> so the narrator and her sister magdalena sister quote unquote, yeah, yeah. go to the opera and they get to the part where judith cuts off his head and sings his aria about it and then the narrator is like this is a this is as good as it gets do you want to like go see the rest of the city while we're unsupervised and go like have a good meal or whatever and so they go off and they like do a like a blood oath to be like not rivals to protect each other to be sisters precious moment i know it's really lovely and then (laughs) the years start to pass and it starts to get at magdalena and she it's it's heavily implied this is the newcomer this is the second wife it's heavily implied she's bipolar okay and whether that's an effect of like living forever sure or being under this guy's thumb or whatever she didn't come across as bipolar for the first probably 20 or 30 years they're together but then she starts getting manic and then she gets really depressed and they keep moving and they're trying to like keep her engaged in the world but like he still won't like let her go out by herself he cuts off all of her correspondence with um like like she's really into like political scheming and so she like as a as a person she would keep in contact with all sorts of heads of states bishops kings advisors and she would like give them advice and stuff and he cuts all that off big yikes i know they have no lives but each other he goes out into the world and like interacts or whatever but these women are are totally isolated and then he takes them to russia right after the russian revolution in 1918 and they pick up this really pretty blonde boy and turn him into a vampire sure yeah and um but this guy he's an actor and they go off to paris and he wants to go act on the stage and he's very modern and democratically minded and he wants a say in like what cities they move to and like what they do in the evening and dracula is not having it and 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 this kid alexi has no he doesn't have the sort of like defenses that the other women have built up to like placate him and like keep him from getting too mad and blowing up or whatever and so really the the impetus behind finally freeing themselves is like to protect their like younger brother i know i know and it's just it's 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 absolutely a story of domestic abuse, but it's also a story of like 
resiliency and camaraderie and murder and murder <laughs> and sex and really pretty prose. Cool. <laughs> Show them that one. <laughs> I loved it. So, it does I sound like that falls right in the middle of your I need weird stuff now. It absolutely yeah. Like it was it was not anything what I was expecting. And part of that was the prose. The prose is so rich and glosses over all of like the boring parts. And, and keeps us interested even when you when she does mention the boring parts because like she says like oh I think it was like another decade maybe four <laughs> and you're like you what track. year is it what <laughs> century are we anyway. in should we be expecting electric lights like <laughs> what plague is That's this a smart way to get around. Oh, not has. nailing down like historical details. Although I have no doubt Vienna was under siege at some point sure. during that approximate time period. But it was it was just a phenomenally well written book and it was weird <laughs> and interesting and just I'm glad you got your weird book. Oh my god, I flew through it. Like it's it's only like it's under 250 pages. Oh. It's like 230 or something. Okay. So it's not a long book, and it's also, like, the formatting is kind of weird, and I don't know if that's because it was a small press, and right. that was just, like, the cheapest way to do it, or if it's supposed to mimic, like, a journal where there, there are no, like, headings or chapters or anything. It's just, like, a scene ends, you turn the page, and then there's no even, like, an indent. It just starts. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I, I, I like to think it was supposed to imitate a journal entry <laughs> but i have no idea yeah so that's where we ended things last time and since then i have in fact thrown a dowry of blood on my very extensive smack tbr pile <laughs> the murder makes it worth it you'll enjoy it okay you say so. Um, <laughs> so the last time we talked, you were in the middle of... Oh my god, the unnamed midwife. The, <laughs> the unnamed midwife. And I think uh, we're all sitting on the edge of our seats to hear how that... Did okay. you DNF? I did, did not. I finished the book of the unnamed midwife what? by Meg Ellison. And by the end... I mean, there were a couple of very specific things that convinced me of my new position of like I should not have finished that book oh. it was not worth it okay it was so upsetting because I thought I think the last time I talked to you you were content having finished it have we backtracked I don't I, I don't remember maybe. the last time we talked about this I don't maybe but I'm thinking of something else but like it was fine and it it turned out okay but there I mean there are a couple of things that I that I've decided I disliked the most. One of them is that the way the story is told, I got like two thirds of the way into the book before I realized that everything isn't a journal entry. And so like we are, but some things are <laughs> right. So there's this prologue where it's after the unnamed midwife has lived her life and passed. And it's her complete book of the unnamed midwife. And there are these boys who are learning to be scribes in the quote-unquote new world post-plague. And, and, and so we're led, I was led to believe. <laughs> I thought it meant that everything we were going to read was part of what they were 
transcribing what they were copying into new books. Makes so they, sense. Right. But, like, there's parts that are clearly journal entries because they use a different font, and then there's, like, regular storytelling. Okay. And the journal entries are interesting, but they don't cover anywhere near as much of the story. Like, I can't imagine seeing, like, a ton of value in it in that kind of environment. Because if you wanted the story, you had to get the prose in, like, the regular font. But it turns out that's not part of her journal. Because around the two-thirds mark, the narrator, who I thought was the unnamed midwife, starts telling us... They aren't? I know! (laughs) So the narrator is actually omniscient, and as the midwife... So it isn't even a character. It's not even a character. It's... Oh my god. So, yeah. (laughs) So as the midwife, like, meets and leaves these people, somewhere around the halfway to two-thirds mark the narrator starts telling us how these people live out the rest of their lives. And she never sees them again. So there's no way that she could know how they end their lives. Oh. Yeah. And it's all really depressing. Of course. Yay. Like. Hey, this is future Gabby yet again. Uh, This time uh, the in-depth discussion of spoilery plot points from the book of the unnamed midwife lasts from about here to the 57 minute mark so now's your chance to fast forward like the least depressing one was that this guy and this girl end up living out their days and never seeing any other people ever which is like they had a really rough time of it so like Maybe that's fine, but yeah. like, it's still really sad yeah. and bad for socialization. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then... Getting um, close to home, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, like, you find out what that weird radio um, the broadcast. broadcast was in one of these, like, this is what happened to so-and-so, where oh God, there was, like, this quasi-military group in LA broadcasting it to like lure women down from Northern California and then they would enslave them and if they came down with with a guy then they killed the guy and yeah it's horrible and I mean we knew it was going to be horrible because she kind of get a sense but like the way we are this there's this scene where this the woman and the guy that the unnamed midwife had parted ways with like Mm -hmm. the way they got caught by this quasi-military force was just really painful and like it ends with with the narrator going and -and so-and-so lived a long time in that prison all by herself and she never saw another woman ever again sounds really cheerful yeah and then oh my god and then we find out what happened to the unnamed midwife's like partner which just like broke me it was it was so sad and sort of like gift of the magi like that sort of like irony where like they were ships passing in the night and they never knew it oh and there's this part where, like, somebody asks if she ever, if she got married. She said no, but that's because we were not getting married out of solidarity with our, like, queer friends. Which was, like, really nice. But implies that, like, and not even implies. Like, it, it becomes clear that, like, he wasn't just her boyfriend. Like, he was her life partner. 
And he was a doctor at the hospital where she worked. Um, and he was forcibly evacuated while she was sick. And they just left her. And they knocked him out, put him on a helicopter, and he ended up doing research. Um, and horrible stuff to, like, try to find out more about the virus. Like, women and stillborn children who died, he'd have to, like, dissect them. And it was just, like, and, ugh. So it he didn't end well. And the, like hopeful part of it all is that she finds out where his grave is and she gets to be like, I want to be buried right next to him. Oh, yeah. I know. Like, yeah. It was just all so sad. And and then at the end, it sort of like implies that like she finds this like fort and she is has these great medical skills. And so she joins them and she like finds a place there and she becomes like a leader in the community. Um, but there's this sort of, like, implication by the end of the book that that community becomes, like, sort of this, like, militant matriarchal place, which didn't, I mean, like, just didn't appeal. <laughs> it just, oh, God. Doesn't sound like somewhere you want to I know. go yeah. vacation? Not even in, like, a post-pandemic world. <laughs> Not even. I guess if your options are few on the ground. I know. It's, it doesn't sound like there are a lot of great... Yeah. So, I mean, like, I just... There were so many different things that by the end, I was just... I was just glad to be done. So the I'm next sure that's time... when I talked to you. I was just glad to be done. <laughs> so the next time you're yeah. like... Moral of the story. If your if instincts are telling you to DNF... I have DNF'd two books since then we learned our lesson it was a painful lesson but we did I'm learn so it. sorry it sounds like <laughs> such a rough journey it was on two different reading lists though which well, was nice and now you two will know why <laughs> hooray know, it's uh, so i yeah between like the absolute depressingness of it all and the fact that like i felt like i couldn't trust the narrator, mm -hmm. sort of? Because, like... Really unreliable narrator. <laughs> <laughs> that was just one thing too many. Yeah. Actually, her life partner thing, that was what really oh, clinched yeah, that it. Sounds, like, mm, like... It just sounds... I feel like... I mean, this is me especially, but you need some hope and some good things. And supposedly that was hopeful at the end, where, like, she finds we, out where he's She can buried. get buried next to him. And, like, the community she's part of, there is a baby who survives. Like, oh, a whole baby! I know! <laughs> but by Sounds that like point... Sounds like got born into a great world, too. I know. I know. It was super cherished, though, because it was the only baby. The baby's gonna grow up so messed up. <laughs> I know! <laughs> but at that point, like, the narrator zooms out again, and they're like, yep, a whole bunch of people died on this continent and this continent and this continent and this one. Dead people everywhere. Stillborn babies everywhere. Dead would-be mothers everywhere. But after this one baby was born a few others were born throughout the world and nobody knew because all of the communications the global communications had fallen into disrepair and so nobody there's, oh god, I just... You want some more biology for a second? Sure. Ever heard of a genetic bottleneck? 
Yes. <laughs> so, for anyone who doesn't know, um, this a good example of this are the elephant seals, actually, in California. Really? If you wipe... And cheetahs. Oh, yeah, cheetahs, cheetahs are Cheetahs I knew about. Um, so, if you wipe out enough of a species so that there are only a few left, but then those few bounce back... Um, the your gene pool is obviously teeny tiny teeny weeny which leaves you extremely vulnerable to disease for Ever. many many generations yeah so like there the elephant seals have sure bounced back but like you get one bad virus in that mix and they're all dead yeah um and cheetahs, I know cheetahs are so at iffy. the end of the ice age there were seven cheetahs left Oof. I heard there was one in one of our classes in uh, undergrad, one of our teachers told us that the cheetah situation is so bad that you can skin graft one onto an really? any other and they'll accept and the skin graft gets accepted. Just That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Yeah. So just because a species bounce back from <laughs> the brink of extinction doesn't mean the ride's over, kids. Oh my god. It's so <laughs> So are you gonna be reading the other two? <laughs> no, no, you would literally have to pay me to read those two. I'm sure they're great. It sounds like, I think from what I can tell by the end of the, the unnamed midwife one, it's the, the next two books are the book of like Fern and the book of somebody else and mm -hmm. their mother daughter, which is like a big deal in a world where right. babies aren't born or whatever. But like, I just... Huh. I got the hints of the militancy and I was just done. Yeah. Yep. So done. So I won't be reading that. Yeah, don't yeah. read that one. You won't, oh god. You would hate that one. I can tell. <laughs> I sure would. <laughs> it is so far from being a Gabby book. Mm -hmm. But I did love I ended up loving Burning Roses. Oh good. By S.L. Huang. Yes. So good. Tell me what you loved. Tell me something wonderful. So... <laughs> So I I am like historically a sucker for fairy tale retellings. Right. Anyway, as we are. Um, and obviously Red Riding Hood, you know, from yeah. the get go is involved. Um, main character's Rosa, and she's Red Riding Hood, retired Red Riding Hood kind of middle aged retired. Um, and she has deeply flawed. Deeply flawed. <laughs> she has this uh, terrible like a abusive ex-friend named right. Gold... What is her name? Goldilocks? But it's basically Goldilocks. It's Goldilocks, yeah. Um, I don't remember her name, um, but... And they're friends and they're because Rosa killed the bears yep. for her, right? Yep. Yep. Because okay. she was... So she, Rosa has this whole, like, prejudice thing against people who can turn into animals. Right. For whatever reason. And this comes up in characters such as the bears, or, like, are anthropomorphic, too. Yeah. So we got these bears, um, and she comes across this, and this is because the wolf ate her grandmother. Right. This, that's how it starts this whole, yeah. um, this so bigotry. She, uh, like, sees from a window. Mm -hmm. That Goldilocks that, like, is, like, cowering in a corner yeah, while like the bears are pacing and, and like, and yelling at her yeah. and, like, for invading their home. Yeah. <laughs> and then just, like, shoots Sh them. Through a window. Mm -hmm. She's a sharpshooter. Yep. She's... Yeah. So that's how their friendship starts. And Goldilocks is, like, obviously a... Super manipulative. Yep, con artist slash... Anyway, terrible that's a person. terrible person. <laughs> but, like, in the present of the story, like, Goldilocks right. has long been abandoned yes. as the toxic friend that she is. Right. Um, and Rose's new friend, Ho Yi, 
I didn't realize, obviously, until... Well, I, was, so I, I remember last time we were talking, and I couldn't remember Hoi's name at first. And I was like, no, it's Rosa and 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 Hoi, I guess. Yeah. And then early on in the book, Hoi makes a joke about her wife being on the moon. Did not make the connection at that point. And then like halfway through, finally names her wife, who is for real, on the moon. And her name's Chang'e. And I was like... This is the Chinese myth of Chang A <laughs> and Ho Yi. Like, how did I not recognize Ho Yi? <laughs> because I do know this story. And uh, recently watched, not recently anymore, but at the time, had recently seen Over the Moon, which also involves. Do you know this story? I don't know if I know Over the Moon. So the, um, but do you know the story of Ho Yi? I did Chang'e? not. Um, I read Burning Roses and I did <laughs> not make that connection. So I've heard a different, a few different versions of it at this point, but the, the, like a version of it is, um, in Once Upon a Time, <laughs> they're, uh, they're in, uh, Chinese mythology, there were 10 sons and they usually go in order, like one right. and then the other and the other. One day they all decided they wanted to hang out at the same time and started, you know, burning humanity to death. And Hoi is this legendary archer who came along and started shooting the suns out of the sky and then got to the last one and uh, some deity or the uh, emperor, I, whoever. Uh, I, I thought you meant like suns, like oh, no. brothers. No. Although okay. I think in some versions of the legend they are someone's sons right. and their sons. Okay. Um... But no. Stars in the sky. Stars in the sky. Okay. Burning humanity. Um, too many suns are right. not a good thing. Um, so someone uh, has Hoi shoot them down. And Hoi gets the last one. Someone's like, can you maybe maybe chill a bit? <laughs> leave one. I think one is a good number of suns to have in the Since sky. Since we've all got left. Anyway. Um, so that's one of like Hoi's big accomplishments. And I guess uh, he traditionally has like a lot of other... like huge like like kind of like hercules like has these and other Gilgamesh animals and things whatever, that yeah, yeah. he conquers and whatever um and then uh his wife is chang'e and various versions of how he gets his hands on this immortality pill or potion depending on the version and um in one story uh if you drink it all you'll like immediately ascend to the heavens as a deity and if you have half and half like if you only have half you gain immortality uh, like kind of a half like um so he and his wife like opted for mortality or got forced to be mortals for some reason or whatever so this was a how do we get back to being immortals uh, okay. and so he was like yes i'll split the potion with my wife and we're good and in some like you know more misogynistic versions of this the wife like investigates the potion on the deity, like, just wants to, like, see what this is about, and just, like, downs the whole thing, <laughs> which is how she becomes the goddess on the right. moon. Um, and then in other versions, which is clearly the version, like, Burning Rose is kind of integrated, there's another character whose name completely escapes me, who is after this potion, and to keep him from getting it, Chang'e right. downs it before, right. and, then, and then, again, ascends to the moon. Yeah. Um, and in Burning Roses, that's, like, Hui's prodigy. Yeah. They're, like, kind of adopted. Like, adoptive kid. son. And there's a weird, like, tension there and misunderstandings abound. And it so caused So many misunderstandings. But, um... But anyway. In so much misery. So much misery! <laughs> but they all worked 
anyway, um, so I got really excited because that was a whole other fairy tale I hadn't realized because I was like, I was obviously on the eye out for the Western ones. Right. It didn't even occur to me that there yeah. would be a non-Western one that I would even recognize. <laughs> so I got excited about that. Um, and then, um, and it was just, it was, they have a lot of misery in their backgrounds, but the stories about like overcoming that and becoming better people and learning to get past like who the worst of yourself to become better and like fix what you can. And, and I just, I just like happy things like that where you just like people learning to be better and just being better and and it was such a hopeful ending and yeah it was a really good ending so good so i guess um it's out of print now i tried to pick it up you can still get the ebook you can still get the ebook i'm sure i actually haven't looked into that but i keep hoping the paperback will come out so because it's been a year since the hardback came out so if they're going to it would have to be like any minute but i don't was it a tour.com I don't know. I thought it was, but I didn't... I got it from the library, so I don't... Yeah, I, I got mine as an ebook. So, how did we want to do this has been infinite TBR, hoping that you and your wives successfully murder your evil, vampiric, abusive husband? 